Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, this is the first episode to be released after the smashing success of our Midwest and East Coast tour. We've come back closer friends than ever, haven't we? Yeah, we've come back. Uh, we came back to a hero's welcome, a ticker tape parade to honor our return from our tour. I'm still picking confetti out of my hair. Adam, I'm, I'm having a tough time maintaining the fiction of this premise that we are recording this after the tour, when in fact we are recording it before the tour even starts. That's right. About a, about a week, week and a half maybe, before, uh, before we kick off this yeah. tour. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Ben, your thoughts. This is also the last time we're going to record before going out on that tour uh, due to my significant work demands. Any final thoughts before <laughs> you take the field? I was thinking today, oh, it's going to be so nice. You know, like we've we've put in so much work to to extend the runway so much. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be great. I'm have a few weeks off where, you know, we don't have this constant beast we need to feed and then i was like wait i'm gonna be fucking podcasting every goddamn day for like two weeks <laughs> yeah it's a totally different beast and you have to feed it in person i am i'm way looking forward to the tour because i think it'll just mean getting out from behind my desk which is a place i've been for like three weeks straight yeah. on various deadlines like i think we've talked about this before like Edit bunker time can make you crazy, and I have been in the bunker for a long, long, long time. So it's time to be out with the people. Pressing the flesh. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be great, Adam. I think we're going to have a ton of fun. And I can't wait to see this movie that we're reviewing. I know. <laughs> time to time to watch the movie and study up on that. <laughs> what is your... What is your biggest hope for the tour, and what is your greatest fear for the tour? I would say my greatest fear is that we're basically doing the same show ten times. We got ten engagements, and it's ten of the of the show. So my fear is that we have staleness issues that present mm. themselves. G given our last tour, like it's not that big a fear, but you know, it occurred to me. I'd say my big hope is that it goes as well as our last tour did. Like, we didn't have any game tape on ourselves before we went out on our last tour, and it was just so much fun, and it was really great to meet people. You know, like, we had never really met anybody that listened to our program before yeah. that, and it was super encouraging. It was It was groups of wonderful people, and, like, people who, you know, came up and had, like, said really genuinely kind things to us and you know joked around with us and it was just it was fun to hang and uh i think that that is going to be the best part yeah i mean after the first show in seattle that we did in november and there was like the greeting line 
afterwards. Yeah. Like after going through that experience, that became the thing I looked forward to at every show. Like it was almost like during the show, I was excited for that. Like <laughs> while we were checking your watch, you're like, yeah, uh, can't wait to be done with this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to take some pictures? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great. And this is going to be on such a larger scale too, that that's going to be an interesting challenge, you know? Yeah. I think the scale thing is really amazing. Like we're, I think that the smallest venue we are playing on this tour is twice the size of the biggest venue we played on the last tour. So that's going to be a real head trip. That's nothing to be nervous about at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea that our tour is just a catastrophe and we're here recording this as a little time capsule for everybody to, you know, they've seen the tweets, they've seen the Facebook post (laughs) about what a, what a fucking complete, massacre of unfunny bullshit it was <laughs> one like, of us is still in jail like the mugshot has been memed <laughs> oh they were so young and optimistic and naive what's when you get three public urination strikes that's life in prison isn't it ben that's it <laughs> yeah they just they, did, they don't even put points on your license they punch holes in it uh oh no well Hopefully, uh, we will have kept it together enough to uh, bring you fresh pod by the time we get back. Fresh pod like this, Ben. Speaking of fresh pod, Adam, we've got some fresh faces in the episode we reviewed today. Yeah, like a Greek chorus of Nagzima commercial kids, huh? (laughs) Fresh-faced and ready to go. Splashing water on themselves in seductive slow motion. It's season seven, episode fifteen. Lower decks. This episode opens with Riker and Troy very publicly talk, talking about the people that work for them. They're like sitting in ten forward where anybody can overhear them going like Fletcher has more experience with propulsion systems. But Carstairs is better with people. Guys. Closed door conversation, please. Yeah, I mean, 10 Forward ends up being the primary location for this episode, right? So much so that even the exteriors have 10 Forward lit up in a way that I don't remember seeing. Every time they show the ship from outside, instead of an overtop view, it tends to be a from the bottom view, which I guess is a nod to the the title. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the nose of the ship is conspicuously bright. <laughs> With 10 right. forward being lit up like it is. Right. And so Riker and Troy are going over these these personnel reports. And they're like grading people, right? They're grading people for promotion. And even they're kind of sick of it. Didn't we just do crew evaluation reports? Yeah. It's got to be pretty obnoxious when you are the person who's responsible for like... I mean, we know that there's a thousand people on the ship. We know that at least... Seven or eight hundred of them are small children, but you know, Riker oversees like at least one or two hundred officers, probably. Right. You know, he's got to make calls about when they get promoted and stuff. I mean, that's hard in a small office. This is a big one. (laughs) It's true. So we're getting like a cut between Riker and Troy and this group of four who we'll get to know. This uh, this Greek chorus that I referred to before. That's two back zips and two front zips. It's, Wait, who's uh, a front? Ogawa. Who's, who's a front zip? The Vulcan. He's a front zip. And for sure. 
and Lavelle in the red, the uh, the guy with Peter Fascinelli vibes. Oh, I thought he was a back. No. He's a front. What? Two and two. Why does Cito get the back zip? Like, we know why Ogawa gets the back zip, but why Why does Cito get the back zip? I think, I think it's because Cito uh, has top billing of this, of this four. Like, yeah. I think she gets the most screen time. They're not going to stick her in the spandex. What I didn't quite remember from about this episode before seeing it again was that Lower Decks refers to not only this, these four officers, but it also refers to a waiter yeah. who is just as much of a character in this episode as anyone else. Yeah. And it's a... Uh... The waiter is played by Bruce Beatty, who's like a real that guy. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. You sure about dessert? Yes, don't tempt me. You could argue he's as much of, if not more of a that guy, than any of the four we're seeing. I yeah. Mean, I guess save Ogawa. Absolutely. This group of four, I think, sort of demonstrates four different emotional philosophies, right? I think Ogawa is like the bubbly oversharer. Don't worry about it, Sam. <laughs> Lavelle is paranoid, just paranoid at all times. How can I have a good time when my career's being decided across the room? Sido is nice, but she has a dark past. Can't we just try and have a good time here? And the Vulcan is a tryhard. You can't really believe that what you're doing will influence the outcome of your evaluation. And I think these are pretty familiar character types in any workplace, right? Sure. And it's cool to it's cool to catch back up with Sito because we have seen her before in the Wesley is covering up the death of a cadet episode. She was involved in the cover up and that very, you know, like I think that the writers could have burned calories trying to remind us of who she is early in this episode and they had the confidence mm-hmm. to save that for the middle. Right. So yeah, they're they're all sitting there like just out of earshot, want, wondering what's going to go on with their promotion, and Riker and Troy are there uh, on the other side of ten forward talking about that promotion, and Ben the waiter is going back and forth between them, stirring shit up. Apparently, you two are up for the same job. Ben's character plays this as something that's fun, that is amusing him. And that he believes is amusing to the other people. But this is not nice. <laughs> no. I don't think Ben should be doing this. <laughs> ben is manipulating. Yeah. I think he knows how untouchable he is. And and that is established right from the start, right? He, yeah. Like, no one gives a shit. He is, he's just he's, a civilian. He's outside the chain of command, which is a place that I like to be, you know? <laughs> like. Yeah. I I like if I go to a show and I'm there to film it, like not really being in the crowd, but not really being with the band and not really being with the venue. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not really under anybody's purview, which is great. Right. Yeah. I mean, who does this guy report to? Guinan? Is Guinan the boss of 10 forward? I think so. And if not, who is? She's got that office. She's got that nubby gun. I would say whatever she says goes. I love the idea of Guinan doing a before 10 forward opens sort of like gather the, gather the troops and talk about the specials for the day. 
Yeah, they've and got like, like well, a- we got a birthday coming up. You know, we got to get the uh, the special cupcake with the weird candle ready. Yeah, everyone remembers we don't sing happy birthday in this establishment. Here's a new molecular gastronomy cocktail I invented. Everybody, take a small sip. Uh, yeah. We are trying to push this hard. This is the special. We want to sell a lot of this today, people. <laughs> Uh, got a got a great prize for the waiter for the server who sells the most of these. Um, day off on Friday, so push the cocktail, guys. Just so you know, on the last shift we had a surprise health inspection. Did not go super well. Uh, I need to remind everybody that there's got to be cellophane on top of a container of milk if you're putting it aside for any amount of time. They really dinged us on that one, guys. Wilson, I know you were on the hood, and uh, they don't really care about me entering the danger zone of temperature over there. The hood is very happy to hang a C in the window of their 10 forward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 10 forward is an A establishment only. It has to be. Yeah, it's got to be. These guys are all drinking uh, Negronis, which is pretty cool. They've also, like... Added three-dimensional checkers to all of the tables in Ten Forward in this episode. Yeah, it seems like sort of like sort of a step down, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, these guys are playing uh, three-dimensional checkers, and the bridge officers are playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> it's great though because like no one ever touches the games. Yeah, doesn't seem like a fun game, right? Checkers has never been fun. No, it sucks. So Lavelle believes that he is not going to get the promotion even though he's up for it he wants it so bad ogawa is so bubbly and positive she's like no bud it's totally yours but when the waiter comes by and says yeah guess what uh lavelle and cito are up for the same job that sows right away the tension that will be carried throughout the episode between the two like cito is all like lavelle you're great i'm sure you'll get it and lavelle's (laughs) like but Riker hates me let's Everyone remember that, how much Riker hates me. And if you forget, I will remind you throughout the episode. (laughs) Lavelle is an interesting character, and and I think I don't like him because I see a lot of myself in him. He, like, (laughs) totally overestimates how much other people are thinking about him. Right. It's a weird kind of vanity, isn't it? It really is. It is something that I'm very, very much guilty of most of the time. His pessimism is something that I definitely vibe with. But his uh, his oversharing of that pessimism is something that I don't generally do. Yeah. The Vulcan is the fourth guy at the table, and he is pretty standard issue Vulcan. He's just sort of like logically irritating everyone at the table. <laughs> He's, yeah, bone stock Vulcan. Yeah. I think this guy was on Voyager, too. You really get close to that season one, season two uniform in this episode. Like, you forget how shiny that is. And he's wearing it. (laughs) It makes him look so skinny because it's spandex. Yeah, he looks like a rail. So back on the bridge... They're near Cardassian space, the Enterprise is. They're doing Worf, some, uh, some like, training. What the hell is he running a missile drill now for? They're doing, like, Kobayashi Marpu. And, uh, what? 
They're doing like simulations. Yeah. Yeah, and this has got to be some of the you most You like fun. my Kobayashi Maru pun? I really don't, Ben. You're better than that. <laughs> You're better than a cheap poo joke. All right. Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> it's a tactical simulation, and Encencito, the Bajoran, is not quite as quick as as uh, she'd like to be, you know? Like, they got a drill on this, on this missile test. That's the best they can do? No, sir, but that's what they did. Missile readiness test, whether or not there's a fire in the galley. I really love the specificity that Riker gets with her on his critique. Like, she's a tactical, and she's having a hard time locking the phasers. Yeah. And Riker actually talks a little inside baseball about how to use the targeting computer, and I thought that was great. Next time, try letting the locking relay float until the actual order to fire is given. They may not teach that trick at the academy, but it works. Give me more of that sort of techno babble. Like, normally we're hearing all about, like, the ductwork of the Enterprise and what pipes connect to what other pipes. Yeah. But, like, this is practical tactical. Yeah. It's it's great. Gotta let that locking relay float, Adam. (laughs) That's right. He does it in a way that totally discloses that he is a good teacher. Yeah. You know, this episode is really from the perspective of these four ensigns, and so, like, we don't get a lot of context for what's going on, and while they're all sitting there on the bridge... They get a, I feel like this is when like Picard comes in and he's like, hey, guys, change of plans. We're going to this other system. And, you know, we're just left to wonder what the mission even is. Is this also the scene where they gather in the observation lounge and and they and uh, Cito and Lavelle are at Ops and Con? This is that scene, right? Yeah, yeah. All the, all the senior officers like walk off the bridge together and... <laughs> Cito comes down and parks it at con at a at ops, and that seat that she plopped herself in is the one that they are both competing for. So, it's, right, that uh, there's some pregnancy of competition in that moment. Cito seems interested in what's happening in the observation lounge in a very obvious way. Like, I think anyone would be interested in what's going on, and Lavelle just isn't even trying to hear it. Lavelle is pissed about how he acted during the drill. And he can't get it out of his head still that Riker hates him. And Cito's like, man, I would love to know what they're talking about in there. And Lavelle is like, I'm such a fuck up. I'm so stupid. I said I twice. Riker hated that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Lavelle's a little bit of a tryhard too. Yeah. Yeah, he really wants wants to turn his reputation around, but he is really inept at doing that it's natural when you know that an authority figure or when you surmise that an authority figure might not like your whole deal to like try to up your game a little bit and it it's so cringy to watch him try and then just get rebuffed every time (laughs) yeah it me yeah (laughs) so the deal is they're on the edge of cardassian space and they got a scan for an escape pod that they soon find. And this is a super secret mission because only the senior staff knows about it. And what you see from the lower decks perspective is how much anyone who's outside of that senior bubble knows anything about what's going on on this mission or probably mostly others, right? I mean, this mission seems like particularly sensitive because Mm -hmm. they're dealing with like a secret informant, but... They have some real fun 
with the way they unfold the app, like they're beaming the person out of the escape pod and you see the transporter start in six bay, but the, but the shot cuts before it resolves and it's only kind of hinted at, at who that person might be. Yeah. You get to hear the ensigns speculating about who it might be. <laughs> and, uh, I really like that they that uh, Ben suggests it might be Spock and Torek is like, no, that doesn't make any sense. No, no. <laughs> Spock wouldn't be in Cardassian space. <laughs> Torek thinks about Spock all the time. Like the idea that Spock could be on board, I think would totally melt his brain. <laughs> yeah, Torek, uh, Torek is causing some some grief for Jordy because he... He's got some like scheme about how they're going to improve their warp efficiency or something and he's been like taking the liberty of running simulations on it. Hmm. You got a problem here. Your plasma floater than the cells is out of sync. Actually, sir, that was done deliberately. It's that kind of try-hard thing that makes everybody else look bad cuz they're not going above and beyond and Right. So Jordy's like, "All right, man, like I'll fucking read your little your little pup paper or whatever." Like <laughs> Come on, like let's uh, let's focus on the job we actually came here to do. Jordy makes that mistake of saying, "Yeah, like uh, let's set up a meeting on that, bud," and then like <laughs> wheels around and walks away. And Torek's like, "When? <laughs> I'm ready." Uh, I hate that trap. Yeah, because you're trying to be diplomatic. You don't want to say fuck off, but really, like, let's set up a meeting is sort of a, a soft fuck off. It's the, like, yeah, I hope I make it to, to the party. You know, it's the, right. it's, it's the plausible, like, leaving yourself as many plausible outs as you can, and the person, like, is not picking up on the social cues and really wants to pin you down on an answer, will you be at the party? Yeah, Jordy, Jordy may be the least equipped to handle social cues, <laughs> but Tarek is even worse. <laughs> yeah, Jordy gets a little taste of his own medicine. Yeah. And uh, speaking of missing social cues, Ogawa keeps having conversations with Beverly where Beverly is really trying to be like her pal and like, you know, just trying to have like the friendly chit-chat of friends. How are things going between you and Lieutenant Powell? And... Ogawa is, like, unable to drop rank. Actually, I just wanted to tell you that Ensign Riley's condition is showing improvement. Like, I kind of feel like Beverly is promoting her so that they could just be, like, on closer to equal footing so that Ogawa can stop, like, deferring to her so reflexively. I don't know, man. I think I might be on the opposite side of that take because when when you are a subordinate and you're... Uh, and your authority figure keeps like asking you personal questions about your life, you feel obligated to answer because of the the power imbalance there. Mm-hmm. And I think like she's she is flattered that Beverly takes an interest in her life, but I don't know if she's totally comfortable with it. And what's Beverly's deal? Like, I wish Beverly wasn't such a prior in her life or anyone else's. Like, that's sort of a character trait of hers now, is, like, asking the personal question all the time. <laughs> Maybe she's uh, she's just trying to get... She's trying to develop a new breakfast bud. <laughs> yeah. 
can't be all Picard all the time. I think you're probably more right than I am about the Ogawa-Beverly relationship. I think there is true and genuine affection between them. But I do understand the initial reticence to share personal facts about yourself, given their professional relationship, you know? And the idea that she may be obligated to do so in order to get a promotion. When all she she should have to do is bring in a basket of croissant every so often. Right. Exactly. (laughs) My my love is a There's some, a couple of mysteries going on alongside this mystery escape pod. One is that nobody really knows why Sito got suggested as getting promoted to ops because she's a tactical officer. And there's like a scene in 10 Forward where Worf is like, yo, I put you up for that because I think you're great. I think you got a lot of talent, kid. And um, And that comes as kind of a shock to her. Like she's... She's just trying to, like, do her thing. She's not – she does not perceive Worf to be, like, paying that close attention to her. And Worf – like, the, Worf really shows himself to be kind of a great boss in this episode. Like, I really, completely agree. Really, like, is, like, making insightful choices about how to manage his people. Physically kicking a subordinate's ass when necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he takes care of them. This, to me, was the most interesting plotline of the ep. I mean, there are threads drawn between all four of these characters and then people on the senior staff. Yeah. But this Sito-Worf relationship I found totally fascinating. And it's because they don't say it that makes it so great. I mean, Sito is someone who is living with a great dishonor and still carries on with her life and her career in a way that I know Worf understands. But Worf never says that openly. He uses metaphor. He uses physical examples of violence on her. (laughs) (laughs) He says everything without saying it in a way that I think great leaders do. Mm -hmm. And he lets her kind of arrive at what she needs to do by just kind of showing her the door. She's the one that walks through it. Obviously, he can't because he doesn't know how to work it. <laughs> right. There's also the scene where Jordy has Torek down in the shuttle bay, and he's just having him, like, phaser the shit out of a Previa. And Torek keeps going, like, why are we shooting this Previa? And Jordy's like, oh, uh, we're testing the phasers. <laughs> <laughs> it made me nervous how close to the target Jordy stood at any given point. Like, in any firing of any weapon, I feel like no one should be downrange. (laughs) And there's Jordy trusting an ensign to not kill him. Yeah, he's like, like, shoot it right there. And like the the beam hits like inches from where Jordy's finger is. It's got to be, like, do you remember, remember your first job? Like, my first job was working at a grocery store and, like, bagging groceries as a (laughs) 15-and-a-half-year-old. And, like, occasionally I would be given a job that was way outside that scope of work. It was like... uh, it was like, go back to the the cardboard baler and, like, bale (laughs) a new bin of cardboard. 
And I would like relish that because it was so different. Like I would get to do that once a month and it would be like off the floor, in the back, by myself. Like that was the best part. And I feel like Torek is given as an engineer ensign, like the most unique job of that he could get, which is like shooting a phaser at a at a shuttlecraft. Like for a Vulcan, he's got to enjoy that as much as a Vulcan can. Yeah. It's also like not fooled at all by the lie that they're testing the phasers or or, you know, making sure the phasers are doing good. He's put it together that they are making this ship look like it's gotten into a scrape. Yeah, and he is a he's a volatile combination of Vulcan and Tryhard at this point. Like he can't help himself. He can't help himself from from proposing a more efficient way to scar the shuttlecraft and make it look like it was, you know, sustaining battle damage. And Jordy <laughs> is just not trying to hear it. A Vulcan's hard to shut down once they have their mind on something, you know? Jordy mm-hmm. is just ill-equipped. Yeah. They're like a pit bull, you know? They just get <laughs> lockjaw. Yeah. There's a fun sequence in here where Riker and his gang are playing poker and then the ensigns are playing poker and it kind of like uses close-ups on chips and cards to intercut between them. Really deft. Yeah. Like, maybe not as tightly edited as it could be, but it's, you know, it kind of establishes similarities between Lavelle and Riker. Like, if as if they like weren't already clear enough like Lavelle like plays the same kind of poker as Riker and Mm -hmm. the ensigns are talking about their ambitions at the same time as the upper deck people are talking about like where they you know like how they got to where they are and like how they feel about the people that they're considering for these promotions. Troy is like an empath feeling empathy like the case she's making to Riker is like uh I think what you might be feeling right now is like the narcissism of minor differences between you two. Like yeah. you were that guy once you were an ensign trying to get the attention of a commanding officer who maybe didn't like you. Mm-hmm. Like you see this guy walking around the ship, swinging his leg over chairs. Like he's just <laughs> like you. It's funny, man. Riker's it's... having a hard time hearing it, but Troy's right. Do you think Troy finds Lavelle attractive for the same reason that she find, found that era of Riker attractive? Oh, that's interesting. I bet. What if she wants Lavelle to be promoted so she can be closer to him? Like, Lavelle <laughs> gets more bridge time. Troy gets more bridge time. They yeah. get more bridge time together. Mm-hmm. She fits him for a back zip. <laughs> <laughs> that thing zips all the way down. <laughs> The other thing that's happening in this episode is that Sito has caught the attention of Captain Picard. And there's a really intense scene where he pulls her into his office and really rips into her about the fact that she had that cover up in her past. And and he's like, you know, like, what the hell am I even supposed to think about you? Like, why are you here? Like how can anybody how can anybody trust you after what you did? And she's she's pretty shaken up by it. Like she does okay in in the moment. In a lot of ways, it would have been easier to just walk away, but I didn't. I stuck with it. Doesn't that say something about my character too? But he's basically attacked her character, and it feels it's a very interesting side of Picard to see because we don't have a lot of context for why he's doing it yet. 
he withers her in such a way that that she has no response. Like she is totally taken down and then leaves. I think the thing that gives this scene the most I think this the thing that gives this scene a lot of weight is the scene that comes before, which is Cito's Cito's joy at the idea that Picard has sort of tapped her shoulder and asked her to come with him on on a walk that that she doesn't know the destination of. Yeah. She's excited and and like thrilled that the captain noticed her. And for and the reversal of that feeling is so massive that I think it gives a lot more weight to the undressing that Picard gives her. Like he just verbally murders her in the ready room. Yeah, so Worf like is doing some Klinghan yoga and like he got he tells her like basically you've gotten to a level where you can you can move on to the advanced class of Klingon yoga but first you've got to pass this test where <laughs> I put a blindfold on you <laughs> I was uh, I was watching him cover her eyes up and thinking about what the HR department would think about this but it winds up being like a very instructive moment for her where uh She's like, fuck this. This this test is bullshit. Like, how the fuck am I... It's also kind of a repudiation of Star Wars. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? It's not fair to test me when I can't see, basically. I The thing I was thinking of the whole time was like, Worf, so uh, I must administer the Kumite test. You might be familiar with it from the end of the film Bloodsport when Frank <laughs> Dukes was blinded. <laughs> And Cedo uh, does not is not able to fight off her attacker the way Frank Dukes does. Sad. She gets her ass kicked in such a in such a major way. One scene in particular, like, made me laugh out loud. She like sort of front kicks, and Worf is massive next to her. I think Worf has like a foot and a half on her. Yeah, she front kicks. She goes Worf for a grabs real the high kicking kick. foot, <laughs> like holds it and then grabs the other foot with his other hand and like full somersaults her. It's <laughs> it looks like a video game. <laughs> it's good stuff. And Yeah. I wonder if they had to blindfold her because they they had to stunt woman her and shooting it that close there was no like there was no way to cover that up except with a blindfold. I wonder if there was like a practical reason for that and Maybe. not just a a story reason. But the story reason is is like the most interesting part of it because he says like mm-hmm. it took courage for you to say that this was a bullshit test like that's that's yeah. what it was it was testing and that really puts some some wind in her sails and she goes back to Picard and she's like hey bub like I did the crime but I also did the time like you're not the fucking tribunal that is hearing about the bad thing I did it is not your place to repunish me for that just because you had some strong personal feelings about it so if you don't want me on this ship that's fine i'll go somewhere else but i'm gonna like be the best officer i can be despite my past and i would appreciate not getting shit on by you about it cito's like i lit my plasma farts on fire at the academy (laughs) and you were a borgs like and you got your job right back so fuck off man Dang. You think what I did was anywhere nearly as bad as what you did? <laughs> no one ever drops the Borgs bomb on Picard. And Cito really could have. Yeah, that would have been nice. 
He's like, listen, Cito, like the reason that I was being a dick to you was to make sure that you had what it takes to do a really scary assignment. So why don't you come with me to the observation lounge and we're going to talk about it. And they go in there and there is a Cardassian and it is explained to Cito that this dude is, has been like feeding information to the Federation and he actually snuck out of Cardassian space to give them a bunch of intel on what the Cardassians are up to. And now they need to get him back to the Cardassians. And the only way to do that is to make it look like he stole a shuttle and took a Bajoran prisoner, like make it look like he's a bounty hunter. And if she goes with him and does this, they'll, they'll send her back across the line in, a, in an escape pod, much the same way he came across and uh, and they'll get her back but it's a dangerous mission she's signing up for I am the cutest of all you will assist us I am the cutest of all you are all she's not conscripted into doing it like and Picard is very clear about this Picard's like this is a fucked up mission like <laughs> TBH <laughs> and there's a fair to midland chance of death here so I'm not going to order you to do this. And Cito's like, I volunteer. I'll take it. I love it. Bruise me up. Captain Picard, <laughs> obviously it would be ideal not to put another member of your crew into danger, but I simply cannot turn out a real doll with a Bajoran nose. I've been trying for years. <laughs> I'm no good at it. I could make you a real doll that'll let you use the high-occupancy vehicle lane, but any close inspection will reveal that it's not a authentic Bajoran. Perhaps you could loan me your ancient Shito, and then I could make some sort of nose mold <laughs> so that I could then create a real doll with realistic Bajoran nose molds. What I'm saying, though, is that it'll it'll take a little time, and if this mission is timely, you may want to just risk her life needlessly. We know this show has plastic surgery technology. <laughs> like, they could have used a lieutenant, like an actual security lieutenant, made them up to be a Bajoran, and then had someone capable of fighting back. Yep. In that shuttle. <laughs> Instead, they uh, they send Sita, and she gets in the preview with, with this Joret doll, and uh, they fly off, and she's like, they're like sitting there, and she's like, why the fuck are you working with Starfleet if you are a Cardassian? Like, I have no context for a Cardassian that doesn't just kill, kill Bajorans wantonly. What's up? His answer is so interesting because he doesn't say, I'm tired of killing Bajorans. He doesn't say, I don't hate Bajorans. He, his problem is with war itself. If the information I've provided helps Starfleet deter even one pointless skirmish, I've served my purpose. I'm sick of war. And just how tired he is of, of living in conflict. Yeah, I thought that was some... an interesting way to state his case. And if I were Cedo, that would not give me any. <laughs> that would not make me feel better. Like what I want to hear is, no, Bajorans are cool. I think you guys are totally misunderstood. Yeah, he's like, 
You know what? My trigger finger is actually getting really tired from shooting all the Bajorans. <laughs> yeah. Well, he read some uh, some von Clausewitz and uh, really just kind of changed his perspective on things. Yeah, I'm really tired of digging all the mass graves for Bajorans. Like, I'm, my backyard is a shambles. My backyard is a shamble, and my back is killing me. Oi! <laughs> Cedo just sort of like scoots away from him a little bit after this. Cedo's <laughs> bruise makeup looks looks very realistic and troubling yeah. to the degree that before she boards the shuttle, Worf is like, "Oh, whoa! Like, who did this to you? Yeah, I'm gonna fucking kick his ass. What's his name? Yeah, like Worf <laughs> takes a step back into karate stance, like ready to take someone on. <laughs> and I think. This does a little bit of a time jump, right? Like this is the last scene that we get inside the shuttle. Yeah, they they're like getting close to the border, and he puts a puts some shackles on her wrists, and uh, and that's the last we see of them. At what point were you sure that Cedo was was going to die? I think in this scene, I th- I think I don't I don't think it it seemed certain to me. In the, in the McLaughlin group. Issue one. Yeah, I think this was the moment, right? Like the, I thought this was very good story craft in that the cut to includes the time jump and they're looking for the pod that she's supposed to be in and she didn't show up. The idea that she dies off screen makes it more devastating, I think, than if you had seen her pod attacked by a Cardassian ship like and it's also that like fog of war thing where they're like kind of not feeling good about her chances but but they're still kind of holding on to some hope you know it's like like they're watching the election results come in and they're like god like Florida's looking like it's going Trump like fuck this is not necessarily good like maybe we'll pick up some states in the Midwest but Shit. I thought it was very much in keeping with the leitmotif of the entire episode, which is like about perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's the perspective of our lower decks Greek chorus. It's the perspective of the senior staff. It's the perspective of the ship in relation to the shuttlecraft and then the escape pod. Like yeah. they do a great job only showing things from those points of view. And as soon as they leave in the shuttle, you lose that perspective when you come back to the Enterprise. And that, that I thought, was a great parallel that they drew. Picard gets on the radio and announces to the whole ship that they're pretty sure she's gone and that she was a great officer that deserves a lot of respect for what she did. She was the finest example of a Starfleet officer. And a young woman of remarkable courage and strength of character. Great moment for Picard's character here. Just the the solitude of command once again. Just a man alone in a room behind a desk. Eulogizing someone that he sent to their death. Yeah. Pretty powerful moment. And the, the last little scene is a 10 forward bum out. And um, Worf is like off in the window by himself and the three surviving ensigns are at a table with each other and Ben the waiter like convinces Worf to go go hang out with them and like talk to them because they all are feeling the same thing. 
Yeah, that was a great moment. I mean, Worf sees through Ben's manipulation. I appreciate what you are trying to do, but it is not appropriate. But the manipulation is coming from such a place that Worf finally acquiesces to the feeling of it Mm -hmm. and the feeling of it being pure. And that the episode ends with him just sitting down and no one saying anything, I thought was especially powerful as well. Like, I think words would diminish that moment. Totally. Lavelle got his promotion and he got the pins. And uh, there's no satisfaction for him, is there? No. I mean, it. Uh, you can't really feel like you earned it if the person you were in competition with died. Those are bloody pips, aren't they? Yeah, it's got blood all over those pips. Ben, did you like this episode? This episode is on my mountain, Adam. I think it's fantastic. It's so interesting to see the show from from a different angle. It's a it's so strong in so many ways. Like it's very emblematic of like some of the best stuff this show is doing this season. Yeah. Where like theme and motif are really flawlessly being heightened in every scene and it adds so much dimensionality to the ship like you know you can't help but think about where these characters are and what they're doing in subsequent episodes how about yourself i agree i wish we'd gotten one of these episodes every season and maybe we could have known these characters Every time, like maybe this is the seventh time we could have visited them and maybe Cito's death would have had even more emotional gravity because we could have known her for so much longer. I thought all of the characters were likable in their own way. It is strange to say that in a series with seasons that are 26 episodes long, that there wasn't time for this kind of storytelling. But like when I consider how many other B stories this thread could have been a part of, yeah. like that's that's a missed opportunity, right? There wasn't time in a lot of episodes to tell this story, but I think I think we could go back and and do a census of episodes of all the episodes that we hated the B story on and transplanted <laughs> this B story on instead and would have been I think it could have redeemed a lot of bad episodes. Yeah. And that's a sort of retconning that I that I think about a lot when watching a episode this great. And this is on my mountain too, Ben. It's one of the great episodes for sure. I mean the other thing I kind of wished we had more of that is in this episode is secrecy you know like they're like it's so fun when the doctor has to ask everybody on her staff to clear the room because they're going to beam on somebody that nobody else is allowed to see Mm -hmm. and uh, i wish i wish like some of that behavior had been established from the other side earlier in the series yeah yeah. You know, it's like like all the best episodes of this show show how much potential it had. <laughs> and, and and when it when it achieves at this level, it's so uh it's so sad to think about how many times they also stepped up to the plate and took three big swings and missed. That's something that I'm trying really hard to 
get away from like in criticizing the show like it's so hard to look at it in an episode in isolation and go great episode without also going why aren't the other episodes as great like that to me okay i'm an idiot adam fuck you no, I'm not I'm not <laughs> criticizing your critique. I'm saying this is something that I'm trying to work on with me in in enjoying a television show that I love is like is like taking these individual moments for what they are a little better. And you know, I say this after leveling the critique of why didn't we get seven? It's it's like greedy fan mentality, right? Like Yeah, yeah that was really great. Why didn't you give me more? <laughs> you know, and I think in our did you like this episode conversation, I think that is that is something to consider. And I think we both feel the same way. Like great ep, wish there were more. Grateful that we have this one. Indeed, Adam. You know what other thing I'm grateful for, Ben? What? I just love reading P1 messages. Me too, let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Lisa, your sweet potato penguin. It is for sixth anniversary husband, Bear Ben Douglas. <laughs> The message goes like this: Vila. Now, oh, okay. This is a this is a Bob Vila. <laughs> what is that? That's not Bob Vila. Bob Vila isn't in this old house. Okay, so I guess this is going to be a this old riff. I wish you had had this one instead, Ben. But here we go. Now, when you're wishing a happy anniversary to your husband, <laughs> you're gonna want to get your favorite podcast to do the job. And then we go back into normal voice. Thank you for forcing me to watch Star Trek because I love it. <laughs> You're my very own fully functional android. Here's to the uncountable infinity of our joy together. P.S. Thanks to Greatest Gen for bringing us closer. Aww. Ben, we're bringing people closer. That's great. We're putting bears with penguins <laughs> in a... <laughs> in defiance of God. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all for, you know, marriage equality, but I do not think a bear and a penguin should be together. I disagree completely. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm pro Bear Ben. I am pro Lisa Potato Penguin. <laughs> Adam, we have another message here, and uh, this one has some, some instructions as well that we need to make a new Baker Street drop for it. This message is oh, from geez. Rob and JL Pipes. The dog? She's my dog, <laughs> young JL Pipes. And it is for Hope. I'm late for our anniversary and early for your birthday, so just because is my reason to drop some scarves. I love you as much as Riker loves consent, as much as Worf sucks at being a dad, as much <laughs> as Plavim hates Raz. <laughs> I love being a little bit embarrassed with you, and I'll always be your drunk Shimoda. As we boldly go through the universe. Oh. This is the doggy daddy of JL Pipes, the dog that we've seen on Facebook over the last couple of weeks, yeah? Yep. Pretty great. Ben, I feel like being a little bit embarrassed with whoever you're with is like a great foundation for a relationship. Because that's yeah. like that's like real 
intimacy, right? When you're intimate enough with someone to be to share some embarrassment with them, to I think be that's vulnerable in that way. Yeah, yeah. A uh, jury is out as to whether or not that vulnerability supersedes being late for an anniversary wish, but. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully this gets you out of the doghouse where you're currently sleeping with that new dog, Rob. <laughs> Hopefully Hope has the capacity for forgiveness. Fingers crossed. Well, uh, Ben, our show has the capacity for more Priority One messages. If you've got a message you'd like to send a loved one, a hated one, or <laughs> anyone in between, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They are a great way to help with the ongoing production of our program. Thanks, guys. Thank you. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Gotta give it to Sam. I've wanted to give it to him all through the app, but the, the thing that really like sealed the deal for him was showing up at the we are in 10 forward feeling awful because our friend just died hang and making it all about himself. <laughs> he like... He like plops himself down in the chair, puts the pip on the table. He's like, "God, I just feel terrible." It's like, dude, fuck, fucking, don't make it about yourself for one second. Your friend is dead. Yeah, I mean, that was such a tough pivot. Like, and it's not the actor's fault at all. Like, no, this it's is, in the script. It's the character. Yeah, yeah. That was tough, man. Like, you have to button the episode with who gets the promotion because you introduce that from the beginning. Yeah. But oof. I think that, it's good it's good writing. It's just like that like that is such a flaw in that character. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes a likable character up until then unlikable. Like I like how Sam fucks it up with Riker going up and like getting a drink next to him. Like yeah. he's sort of a lovable doofus. Yeah. Oh, Canada and Alaska both have snow. <laughs> I really admire uh, Sam for that. Like, that is a big... That moment where you cross a room and talk to someone you're nervous to talk to is a big moment, and he yeah. does it. And and who is more... Like, we know... We've known Riker for seven seasons as someone that we love as much as any character, but, like, He's intimidating. He's a big dude, and he's he's the XO of the ship. Like mm-hmm. it's a big moment to step to him. And uh, God, he just eats so much shit in that scene. I guess what I'm trying to say is he's also my drunk Shimoda for that moment. <laughs> I had a hard time choosing between him and Ben. The reason I would have given it to Ben is the whole like. He cleans up the lower decks poker game and then goes, and then he like doubles down on the uh, senior officers game. Like, I've played a lot of poker, and I feel like uh, when you've done well and you leave, you do not play another game and you do not come back later on. That is that is how you that's how you lose the money. And so that was a poor move by him. But I don't know, Sam. Sam was very endearing in that scene with Riker. And the way that Riker plays it during that scene is very entertaining, too. Like, a guy who is amused, a guy who's letting himself hang himself in front of you socially. Good times. Good times. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 16, Thine Own Self. 
Having completely lost his memory, Data is stranded on a primitive planet where the inhabitants fear he is carrying a deadly plague. Do you remember this episode, Adam? This is the episode I always think of whenever I go to like uh, a street fair <laughs> or like a farmer's market or something. Like whatever, whatever market like where they close off a street and there's like pop tents and there's Zeppelis and shit. Where like people set up booths and they sell like handmade jewelry and stuff. Every time I see the handmade jewelry, I think it might be radioactive. <laughs> So that's what I remember from this episode is is like how it ruined handmade jewelry for me. Well, handmade jewelry, not that great to begin with. Um, yeah. That'll be the next episode, Adam. <laughs> Looking forward to it. One thing that uh, that always warms the host's hearts about this show, uh, warms it without being proximal to a piece of metal that is radiating warmth on its own, are the uh, conversations that happen on social media, Ben. Yeah. Twitter, mm-hmm. Reddit, yep, Facebook, yes. Those, that's like the holy trinity of social media, right there. And we've got presences on all of them. Yeah, presence a. Yeah, very non shitty presences too. Like people are nice and and fun with each other and uh, making cool artwork and drawings and stuff. Uh, I think one of the awesome. reasons that they're so pleasant is that the few times where people step out and our dicks the pig pile on whoever that person is is massive yeah that is a very well self-policing place yeah it's good well uh we should thank dark materia for our theme music and adam ragusia for a lot of the other music you hear on the program and with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek the next generation And an episode of The Greatest Generation that is in way too heavy of woolen clothes to be filmed in Southern California. That's for sure. Welcome back from the tour, Ben. I am very confident that it will have gone great. I'm I'm sending... Past Adam is sending positive vibes to future Adam and Ben. (laughs) Hey, thanks, Past Adam. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.